Let's get it, let's get it, let's get it. It's your boy Sully on the Maximize the Moment podcast, a.k.a. the Excuse Me podcast. Excuse me, your greatness is with God. And today we continue our Leadership Table Talk series, episode four with Dead Beginnings. And let's get right into it. 20 miles south of Cairo on the Nile's West Bank, where River Fred crop fields give way to the desert, the ancient site of Saqqara is marked by crumbling pyramids that emerge from the sand. More than a dozen other pyramids are scattered along the five-mile strip of land, which is dotted with the remains of temples, tombs, and walkways that together span the entire history of ancient Egypt. Now, one scorching day in the fall of 2020, Muhammad Youssef, an archaeologist, clung to a rope inside a shaft that had been closed for more than 2,000 years years. At the bottom, he shined his flashlight through a gap in the limestone wall and was greeted by gleaming eyes, a small painted statue of the composite funerary deity Osiris with a golden face and a plumbed crown. It was Yusef's first glimpse of a large chamber that was guarded by a heap of figurines, carved wooden chests, and piles of blackened linen. Inside, Yusef and his colleagues found signs that people buried here had wealth and privilege. The archaeologist was astonished to discover dozens of expensive coffins jammed together and piled to the ceiling as if they were in a warehouse. Now, this eerie chamber is one of the several mega tombs, as archaeologists describe them, discovered last year at Saqqara, the sprawling necropolis that once served the nearby Egyptian capital of Memphis. The excavators they oversaw by Yusef uncovered hundreds of coffins, mummies, and grave goods, including carved statues and mummified cats packed into several shafts and all untouched since their antiquity. The trove includes many individual works of art and gilded portraits. Now, this tomb, these were greatly nearly perfected and preserved tombs that hadn't been seen for over 4,400 years. To orient ourselves, a necropolis is a cemetery, especially a large one that belongs to an ancient city. And since we're speaking of tombs, let's talk about the tomb of Jesus. John 20, verse 1, the empty tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, we know from biblical text that the size of the stone was substantial. According to Mark 16, there was at least three women who knew they could not move it, even though it could be rolled because it was extremely large. Now, how much did it weigh? Well, the entrance of a tomb was quite small, so the stone needed to cover an opening which was between anywhere four feet to six feet in diameter and approximately one foot thick. Now, getting to the stone's weight, depending on the type of stone that is used, it could have weighed between one and two tons, that being 2,000 to 4,000 pounds. Now, this is quite, quite heavy, but we know from biblical text that two men could move it into place, see Matthew 27 and John 19. But the more difficult task was actually removing the stone. Generally speaking, rolling the stone 
was set inside a groove in front of the entrance and secured from falling over by a stone wall that stood in front of the tomb opening. The rolling stone was sandwiched between the tomb's entrance and the stone wall. Often the groove was not level, but it was actually slightly sloped. To close the tomb, the stone would need to be rolled down the groove or the slope at a decline and come to a rest in front of the entrance. To open the tomb, the stone would have to be rolled up the groove or up the slope at an incline. Given the structure of such tombs, it would not have been possible for Jesus to simply push the stone over from inside the tomb. He would have to roll the 2,000 plus pound stone back up the groove without having anything to even grip on. Such a feat would not be possible for one healthy man, yet alone a man who had just been beaten and stabbed by the Romans. Let's look back at, at John 20 verses 11 through 18. Now Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb and she was crying. As she wept, she bent over into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Here's the point. Here's what we're getting to. Leaders should not set up campsites at graveyards. You cannot be a transformational leader by continually praising or rooting your ways or points in decision-making in circumstantial context of the past. And the next logical question that may come back or becomes, well, isn't that what Christians do? And I believe that is a very fair question. And here's your answer. First, yes, the pivotal hinge point of our faith is one that rests on the act performed at the cross by Jesus Christ, the anointed one, by dying on the cross and taking the sins on for the entire of humanity. To further this cornerstone of faith, Jesus resurrected from the dead and is in heaven with God the Father. So while the event took place in the past, both Christ and the new covenant promise are not fixed there, but live with us as the word provided in the Bible is the living word and God dwells around us, in us, and through us with the helper, the paraclete that is, that was sent to us, who is the Holy Spirit. We serve a God of the living, not of the dead. See Mark 12, 27 and Matthew 22, verses 29 through 33 for reference. Scripture identifies at least 10 times that Jesus reveals himself to hundreds of people or witnesses, even to include the disciples. Moreover, 
Up to this day, hundreds, if not thousands across the world have had revelations of Jesus even outside of Christianity. To bring this point into context of leadership, the principles we are given in the Bible and given our apprentices under Christ as the model we are to live in our daily behaviors and habits are themselves enduring as our God is and can be practically applied within any circumstance that comes along the journey of seeking out God's vision for us. We cannot be effective as leaders to influence the future if we are living in past seasons attempting to revive dead circumstances like the archaeologists of Egypt. Well, Sully, can't we learn from the past? And I say absolutely. We can build forward and shrink generational gaps. But there is a contrast that every leader must face, which is studying what came before versus ruminating on it so much so that the present is neglected, not celebrated, or there is an atmosphere of stagnation, unproductiveness, and a lack of inertia that puts the organization into paralysis because it's never moving past the paradigm of the past. Let me simplify. You cannot live in a house of your future while still living in the residence of your past tradition and events. When those archaeologists found the tombs, everything that belonged to the ancient city was still there to include their gods, baby lion, cubs, people, images of themselves, servants, carved statues of gods that they created still there. Christ Jesus is not there. He is not on the cross and he is not in the tomb. God's implementation and creation never dies. There is also, there is always a progressive nature to whatever God has created. And that includes you. True vision has an insatiable appetite for progress that goes beyond a space a time and a circumstances. Stop celebrating tombs full of dead bodies, the organizations of long ago. What got you here won't get you there. The only reason time seems to be moving rather fast is sometimes we're too busy living in the past. Now, there's a principle in terms of endurance of organizations through periods of evolution. That principle is called the XS curve. The beginning of time of an organization is the bottom of the curve. As the particular time of period of leadership phases out, you get to the top of the S curve. And that is the most critical part because as the top of the S drops, there needs to be some type of renewal of the vision. If there is no renewal of the vision, the organization falls into stagnation and later into degradation. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing in perfect will. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Romans 6, 3-4 says, Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. 
so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. In our old lifestyles, we were in stagnation and in degradation, but we have been renewed in Christ. Too many times we as leaders attempt to lead organizations, communities, families, peers, and others how other times in our history things were led and not how we are to lead in the present paradigm. We end up leading from legacy instead of leading into legacy. We end up leading from legacy instead of leading into legacy. There's a quote by Jeff McDaniel that I like to share with you today. I realize there's something incredibly honest about trees in winter, how they're experts at letting go. Questions to ponder for our leaders today. What are the things of the past I need to let go to move my organization and the mentality of my people forward? What campsites or archaeological dig sites do we need to tear down? How can we go from a circumstance-based or an event-based organization to a principle-led one? So, I hope you took a lot today from today's message. I hope I gave you some things to chew on. I pray that this message has renewed you. I wish you continued resilience on your journey of leadership. And I pray that God may bring you peace to crush any anxieties that you may be facing. And I hope that you remain steadfast in the pursuit of generational goals that reach beyond these mere moments. I'm going to close with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. And he said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not vain. Remember, any moment not maximized is a moment minimized. We love you. Maximize the moment. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it.